she reminds me a lot of that. If you've like, oh, I am blocked now, so I can't follow her. You can get rid of the t-shirts, but this is something that she, I see a lot. I saw a lot on her page, but I saw a lot on you know so many people I see on Instagram, which is you know tagging every piece of glossy makeup that they have and the the way that it's framed and the way it's talked about the implication is that they're getting it for free or they're being sponsored to talk about it without ever providing the regulations that the fcc demand on sponsor content um and that creates an illusion that buys into this particular kind of creation of a brand and i'm and it's, it's fascinating to me because it has happened so quickly over the past couple of years. I mean, this is now a de facto way of of marketing, of promotions. I mean, and it's not just like reality stars and, you know, YouTubers and stuff who do this. Real big names like now do sponsored content on Instagram. And Elizabeth Olsen mentioned in an interview how she got an Instagram. And part of the reason she'd done that was because like there's money to be made here. She was really candid about it, actually. And I think this is one of the things that I find so fascinating about Caroline Calloway is she has all of the opportunities to do this, but is selling nothing. She's giving the illusion that she is, but there's nothing there. Hello, 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 and welcome to American Grift, the podcast where we promise you mason jar gardens and orchid crowns and fail to deliver. I'm your host, Oriana Schwint, and today we're going to be talking about Instagram influencers, both generally and specifically. Uh, the lens through which we'll be looking at this corner of the Grifterverse is one particular influencer, uh, and, and I hope that you can hear the air quotes in my voice, uh, because they're going to be there every time I say the word influencer. Um, this one is is uh, a, a woman named Caroline Calloway, and uh, to, to help me you know, go through not only Miss Calloway's sort of whole thing, but also just the entire grifterverse of Instagram influencers is Kaylee Donaldson, pop culture writer and critic for for pajiba.com. Hey, Kaylee. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> um, it's been a very, very strange week. Uh, <laughs> really know how else to describe it, to be honest. Uh, it's the weekend was especially strange. It's sort of slightly calmed down now. I've just decided to focus on nice things like crocheting and write, actually writing things. Those are nice things. Yeah. So you, you know, you, you kind of came to, you, you brought this to, uh, you brought this to a lot of people's attention. This, this particular case uh, uh, of, of Miss Calloway. What, what was it about her that, just sparked your interest in the first place how did you how did you even find her like how, how did you become aware of her existence and what why do you care <laughs> i've been asked that a lot over the past week funnily enough um so it, it originally started about 2015 i believe i'd read this article it was on broadly i think and it was about this woman called carolyn calloway who was living the fairy tale life at cambridge university and had gotten a very lucrative book deal for writing what was referred to as an Instagram memoir of her time at Cambridge <laughs> University. Sorry. Yeah. It was the, the going to balls and hanging out with the, the posh and rich of Cambridge. It was a very, you know, British, upper-class, fetishistic version of Anglophilia, which wasn't for me, and I wasn't a fan of her writing when I checked out. But I was interested, because at the time, I did a lot of book blogging. That was kind of my thing. And I was really surprised that there weren't more book deals coming out of places like Instagram and social media. So this felt like, oh, this is probably going to start something 
quite interesting. This is, you know, this is an interesting idea. I get why this would be a thing for people. It reads kind of like her own like YA version of her life. And, you know, there's definitely a market for that. I would be interested to see where this goes. Didn't think about her for a couple of years. And then about 2017, some friends and I were chatting and one of them linked her page and she was telling this literally days long Instagram stories reveal of a secret she was keeping. And the secret in part was that she had seemingly pulled the plug on this book deal, which she claimed was worth $500,000. I've not been able to verify that number. She's the only one saying that it's $500,000. But that wouldn't surprise me, given the amount of press that the story got and given who her agent was, who's Bird Level, who was Kat Marnell's agent, and also Donald Trump's agent. (laughs) And Tucker Um, Max, right? And Tucker Max. He is the man that created Tucker Max. Um, That is an actual thing. But you know, the idea that she'd cancelled this book deal and was now talking about she was going to tell the real her and you know, the real version of her story and tell make art and stuff. And I was sort of curious about that and would intermittently check in on her. And there were just things that she did that kind of fascinated and aggravated me in, in equal measure. She would, there was a period where she started selling pages from her original book proposal with annotations, which were mostly notes of her admitting she didn't write stuff and then adding star stickers to it. And she started selling it on Etsy for about $5 a chapter. So you know, do the maths on that one. I mean, if she puts up, I think she put up six chapters before it got pulled mysteriously. So $30 for, you know, not that many pages. A book proposal is typically, you know, 60, 70 pages, depending on what you're writing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not a full book and it's not worth $50. That was mysteriously pulled. I I don't know why it was. My theory is that the, the publisher pulled the plug on it because she yeah. was also being sued for the money back that she'd spent on the advance. Um, but then she did stuff like she briefly lived in St. Andrews for a few months. And I'm, I live in Dundee, so I'm quite near St. Andrews. Um, but she was talking about doing a Facebook show there about her life at St. Andrews University, taking part in the Freshers activities. She wasn't a student at St. Andrews, I should mention. <laughs> this American turned up. showing up. No, she, yeah, she literally turned up to join in with St. Andrews University activities, like going into the university library, which you can't do if you're a student, and going to the balls and taking part in all the like the freshers hazing and stuff that happens there, um, which I was baffled by because she wasn't a student, you know? And then she promised a Facebook show of that. That show never happened. She started talking about all the sponsored content she was going to do, and that never happened. And she just, to me, seemed like the strongest exemplification I had seen in a long time of the hollowness of what we call the influencer economy. Because most people who are part of that economy at least have something tangible to sell, Mm -hmm. even if it's a particular kind of aspirational image. They typically attach it to a product or a service that can then be monetized. Um, And I didn't know what she was selling. And then last month in mid-December, she announced that she was going to well, at first she said, how would you feel if I did a creativity workshop and charged $100 for it? There seemed to be a good enough response for that. She decided, okay, I will charge $165 and it's going to be a nationwide tour. She then started taking requests on international locations to attend, including Edinburgh, London, India, and Australia. Mm. And this was, keep in mind, this happened a month yeah. ago. Yeah. And she started planning a, a, a nationwide creativity workshop tour with locations spanning from New York to LA and all these places in between a month ago. And, <laughs> I, and I was just 
honestly baffled and completely aggravated. And I admit when I put that tweet up, and I didn't name her at the time, you know, in the original tweet, I just said, right. this Instagram influencer I occasionally check on and because she's the worst is planning a workshop for $165 on how to be yourself and to me everything that was unfolding was it screamed scam and I couldn't get over it and I didn't plan on reporting on it originally I thought I'll just like put this tweet out here and maybe I'll check in and now and then and then the week leading up to the workshop it started to just crumble completely and I just thought well I have to keep up with this because this just feels like it represents something we're not talking about enough mm-hmm. and then the thread blew up and it's just I can't go back on Twitter anymore basically <laughs> my apologies like just on behalf of the internet I guess I don't I don't speak for the internet but I would I, I I'm gonna try because the response the negative response from uh Miss Calloway which is I, I feel like that's the only way to really refer to her is Miss Calloway um has like uh it has exceeded all sane boundaries, let's let's say. Um, it was, you know, after the th- the I saw the thread and then and then was like, oh, well, this this would make a great topic to to discuss on, you know, my podcast about grift. Cool. And then she canceled the workshop. So why don't you tell? Why don't you tell that that portion of the story? Because uh, you you know it pretty well. <laughs> so to backtrack a little bit, the start, things that started happening that to me that seemed like this tour was a disaster in waiting. So there were things you know she would talk about. So she promised a bunch of things as part of the hundred and sixty five dollar cost. She was going to provide a full handmade lunch. She was going to give these lavish you know, gifts to people, including orchid crowns, which she very loudly talked about how she was going to you know, give away the secret of orchid crowns. And if you give away the secret, she'd have to kill you. Um, <laughs> so, um, spoiler alert, when um, uh, uh, Andrea Park, who wrote about attending the workshop for W Magazine, said she had whispered in her ear, the secret to the orchid crowns is that there is no secret, which feels like where do you even begin with that? I mean, it is... That's so ballsy. A of all, yes, of course there is no secret. People have been making flower crowns since, uh, like, r- the beginning of recorded history, I, I feel like. They're, like, this is not some kind of... She did not invent the idea of, of the flower crown or the orchid crown. And also, she didn't provide the orchid crowns. People got one clip in power that they had to give back. Right! <laughs> You got to take a picture with a flower in your hair and then you had to give it to someone else to put in their hair. But that wasn't the only weird thing. One flower. That wasn't even the only thing that happened. There was, you know, the the 1,200 mason jars she had delivered to her apartment. There was the promise of personalized letters, which she then said, well, actually, these take up a lot of time, so I'm not going to do that anymore. I, yeah. um, I understand getting in over your head. I, I, I genuinely do. But this is like she made such a big deal out of like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to look at everyone's, um, all the attendees, you know, social media and email them and really get to know them. So I can really put a lot of thought into this. And it's like, yeah, no shit. That's going to take too long. Like that is a lot of effort and time. But if you say you're going to do that, 
Like, why didn't you think about this before? Yeah, exactly. And also, it, this wasn't the only problem. Like, as you know, mentioned, she started selling tickets for places she didn't have venues booked for, which is just rule number one about events planning. <laughs> you know, have a venue before you start selling tickets. And keep in mind, she was a week before this scheduled Boston date, which I believe was supposed to be either today or tomorrow. Um, she talked about, you know, she was putting messages up saying, does anyone know a space in Boston we could use for the workshop a week before? Jesus Christ. Um, she had an event scheduled for Atlanta on Super Bowl weekend and didn't ha- seem to have an event space booked for it, which um, I think good luck is the term yeah. you, you would have to use there. And eventually that weekend when these workshops start to happen, she after the first workshop, which takes place in New York, she talk, she starts to claim that this space is so magical and special in New York. She's thinking of cancelling a number of dates that people have already bought tickets for and moving the events to New York. And instead of giving people a chance to vote on that, she puts up a yes, yes vote. And then in the next message on her Instagram story says, well, the polls have been unanimous. I'm glad you guys are as enthusiastic about this as I am. Her fan account, like several fan accounts, I know several fan accounts literally started begging her not to do that. And actually a number of them got in contact with me to say, like, we were really upset about this. We felt like we weren't being listened to. And if we actually wanted to talk about this to her directly, we were afraid she would block us because that's what she does. And, you know, you, you have the right to block whoever the hell you want, but you don't. There is a massive disconnect between creating this image of openness and authenticity and deliberate friendship with your followers and in completely denying them a conversation in that manner when you've said that that's how you conduct yourself. Um, so she then cancelled um, Boston, Philly and Denver, I believe, and asked if they would want to come to New York instead. And as a number of people who got in contact with me pointed out, a lot of people had bought accommodation or rented accommodation. Uh, they'd already booked their travel um expenses you know they'd made these they'd put the money down so yeah even if you get the refund for the workshop itself it's a lot harder to cancel flights and hotels and get all your money back yeah 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 good luck like you know okay even if you're just taking a train to philly or dc or whatever you know again good like amtrak (laughs) refunds do not they don't work very well (laughs) when they just you know it's it's what a mess. And the thing that really got me about all of this, and she's, you know, the day of the workshop, she's talking about how difficult it is to make lunch for, I think, 40 people and how, she, you know, people be up, would people in uh, be okay with bringing a packed lunch or a potluck instead, but still keeping the price at $165? <laughs> and the message she made was to the point of basically, if you're expecting a fully, you know, 100% professionally organized event in this, then clearly you don't know me and you don't know the authentic experience I'm trying to mount. So it was the deliberate masking of, in my opinion, willful exploitation as just a character quirk of her realness, mm-hmm. which is, it's, mm-hmm. it gets gaslighting 101. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say that sounds gaslighty to me. I mean, especially if your fans are young and you keep telling everyone, this is the real me, this is how I do business, this is how, you know, our friendship, the foundations of our trust is built. And then you throw that back in people's faces. That's a, it's just a bad way to build your brand, first of all. And this is, it's not me calling what she does a brand. I mean, she calls herself a brand and, a, and an influencer. And what she is doing is, yeah, is work and is deserving of compensation in that manner. And you don't want to debate the actual value of it is that she does. But if you're going to call yourself a teacher, you're going to call yourself an art historian, as she occasionally does. You need to have the work in your corner. 
and you can't respond to feelings or your own ineptitude with, well, I'm just real. I'm authentic. This is just how I am. And if you're not on the page of that, you're a hater or whatever everyone else was calling me this weekend. Well, and then she she uncancelled. Like... Um, less than 24 hours later and actually I'd had a conversation with a friend about this because they'd asked me do you think she'll do another tour and I had said yeah in a few months Uh, I didn't expect it to be less than 24 hours later (laughs) but what I did totally call uh, and I had this conversation with my editor actually was I had said I really worry she's going to make me the Kim Kardashian to her reputation era Taylor Swift Uh, and then cut to her quoting reputation all over Instagram and wearing a scammer t-shirt and trying to profit off of my name and it was just another way that it was just everything she was doing was so dazzlingly unoriginal <sighs> taylor swift waited a year before she mounted that you know and also kim kardashian wasn't wrong <laughs> right right that's you know that's 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 the thing that like yeah, you know, we were talking earlier about the the sort of the need, the need of these people to, to, of this kind of person to, you know, constantly delegitimize uh, criticism of any kind. And, you know, in, in, in this case, it's, well, you know, the press is just shitty and full of, you know, haters and it's, you know, without, you know, just no, no self-reflection at all. I guess, um, and that's you know we're we're fixating right now on on the story of of Miss Calloway and and her uh, adventures <laughs> adventures in branding, I guess. Um, but she she really like you can find dozens of of Caroline Calloways out there. She is she is as Kaylee said a a symptom of of a particular disease that is very prevalent on. Instagram as a platform. Um, so I, I do actually want to talk more about sort of the co-opting of wellness language and using it as a rapper uh, for nothing. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I know that you have, have thoughts on this because I, 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 I remember looking through uh, and reading some of the saved images of her her posts uh, that, that, you know, it was just her blogging below, you know, blogging in the caption section of her, of her Instagram posts. And as you said, there's a market for that. It's definitely not me. (laughs) Um, But, but so I have trouble, you know, understanding why people, I understand in theory why people would form this connection. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my my space as well is I I understood it more when she was in like the original phase of her kind of internet prominence, which was when she was at Cambridge University and she was selling essentially the magical Hogwarts image of Cambridge University. You know, it's completely built on elitism and privilege and a really nasty kind of upper class wealth fetishism that as someone who is a working class British person, I'm very aware of it. but I also get why that is a like Anglophilia sells. <laughs> it always has. Go onto any number of Tumblr pages that are pictures of yeah. you know cups of tea and bulldogs and Benedict Cumberbatch, and it's essentially the same thing. Um, I understood that more. I, I understood it when she was selling that, but the version that she kind of pivoted towards, which was this weird combination of wellness, self help, creativity, mentor. Um, 
attempts to be an activist by only like sharing the work, like occasionally sharing the work of other people, but not seemingly doing any activism themselves. It was sort of trying to pivot towards something that seemed more, yeah. I don't want to say relatable because it's really hard to be relatable when your wardrobe is full of thousand dollar sweaters and things. Actually, side note is one of the <sighs> interesting aspects yeah. of the aftermath of this was there is a fan account that was called um, Callaway's Closet or Callaway Closet, I believe. And they left on their page saying when they originally ran the page, uh, and I know this count, um, they had decided they wanted to keep a document of her clothes that she wore and, you know, where how much they cost and where they came from. Like you see with a lot of like, like I think every Kardashian has a fan account like that. And But this, this person, she, I assume they're she, um, I may be wrong. Yeah. But they basically said, I in part, I wanted to do it in order to see a level of accountability related to her you know um was she paying for all these expensive clothes or was she getting them for free because if she's getting them for free and isn't mentioning that that's technically mm. against you know that's breaking fcc regulations regarding social media uh, and eventually they found out i've got the page open now um that, that caroline did actually mention a couple of times that she didn't buy all her clothes and some were sent to her by brands but she didn't elaborate further on that she didn't post of spawn con or you know or do any branding deals with that but this account mentioned they mentioned you know if she's going to resume this tour there are some things we'd like to see as fans you know would like you know disclaimers relating to brand deals particularly with clothing we'd like an explanation of why her workshops cost what they did we'd like an explanation about why you only had a yes option um <laughs> And proper apologies to fans who'd already bought their transport, their hotels, and those things. It's a really interesting statement. Um, and then they apparently, um, in a story, which is now deleted because your story is deleted after 24 hours, they said that um, Ms. Calloway had unfollowed them. So clearly she had read the statement and had no interest in following through. Um, their page now says Caroline Calloway is a cyberbully. So if that is supportive, I, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but like, they were not the only fan account doing this, you know. There was plenty of them that were saying, look, we can't support this woman anymore. We don't feel like she has respected her fans. We don't feel like she's offered enough transparency relating to this or an understanding of why what she did is not good. Um, but I don't, that's the thing that's got me about it. Is not like she's not going to talk to me. I don't care on that front. Uh, I I feel for her fans. Just because I wasn't a fan of her doesn't mean that other people are silly for being a fan of her. And since so many of them are so young, I think that they do have a right to answers on this front. You don't then get to slam, well, you're not real fans. You don't really support me. You don't understand the art I'm making when you're not making anything. You're just gripping. Uh, and I, I feel really strongly about that on that front. And one of the reasons I wanted people to talk more about the full economical and cultural context of what this exemplifies because this is the tip of a very very large iceberg and you can talk all you want about well oh i've never been taken in by these cons oh i have never you know bought the detox tea that kendall jenner is selling or whatever but plenty of people do and plenty of people are taken in by that and it's enough to hold up an entire market at least for now yeah, there, there is, there is. I, I was talking uh, with a friend over the weekend about this, uh, and sh she follows a, a good number of sort of wellness Instagram people. Um, and she, over the course of our conversation, she was like, "I am starting to question why I actually 
do follow these people because so much of the, you know, some of them give advice. Uh, and she was like, most of it is just common sense or something that if you thought about for more than, you know, two minutes, you could probably come to the same conclusion on your own. Or it's, you know, it's stuff, it's like recycled Cosmo tips, you know? In that aspect, it is the same as it ever was. We've always had a kind of market about this, but it's never been so accessible. And I don't think it's ever been so immediate. And that's one of the reasons. And also so readily, readily dismissed. And this is one of the reasons I kind of kept up with her, but not her, just like, you know, quite a lot of Instagram stars and YouTubers and stuff who I'm not necessarily a fan of. But if you write about pop culture, you know, you've got to keep an ear close to the ground on some level because this stuff is huge. And every time I write about an internet star of some kind, it doesn't take long for someone to say, well, I've never heard of this person. What does this matter? Even if it's someone like PewDiePie who has 73 million followers, you know, that is larger than the populations of certain countries. You know, I think the population of Turkey doesn't meet PewDiePie's follower base, uh, but and that makes an impact and that shapes culture. And the way that we write stuff like this off as, oh, well, this is a fad and a frivolity and no one really cares, ignores how entire markets are built up around us and ignores real damage that is done. You know, for all the people that write off, well, Gwyneth Paltrow is obviously a snake oil salesman. Not everyone feels that way clearly because she's made a multi-million dollar business. The same goes for every Kardashian that sells detox tea, the same thing, or, you know, those diet pills or things like that. You know, it doesn't matter that we assume that, well, everyone knows that it's silly. They don't. It wouldn't exist as a market if they didn't. Exactly. And a lot of these people are filling a void that, uh, that like a lot of people experience, you know, like in, in America in particular, you know, uh, health education is just non-existence, uh, particularly around for, for young women. And, you know, they, women in this country, you know, if medical care is, is, is impossible, doctors don't listen to you, um, you know, so there, there, you know, in comes this, you know, in comes all of these people, generally women in this, in this space who do seem to listen to you, who do seem to get you and, you know, in a very confusing time and they are telling you, I have the answers, you know, Miss Calloway feels very, like very, like too much of a shell for me to, to have, gravitated towards but i understand why you know friends of mine do go oh yeah you know this person recommends whatever you know turmeric lattes and they're like eh, you know it's a annoying that this person is acting like they invented the turmeric latte or you know was they were the first person to discover the anti-inflammatory uh properties of turmeric or oat milk <laughs> oh my god the oat milk thing yeah what why is she so is she in the pocket of big oat milk like well oat milk was actually the oat milk was actually the one sponsor she had for the event oh. root health the alternate milk company did actually sponsor the event um which i have to question the the effectiveness of that as a strategy because the whole point of sponsoring an event like that is to get publicity and I saw like almost no one talking about the oat milk uh or posting pictures about it or tagging in root health um I, I was sort of, you know, quite tickled by the oat milk thing because it seemed to be advertised like it was unique to New York. I live in Dundee and can go to yeah. the corner shop and get oat milk. It, it's, it's, it's a thing now. You know, veganism is very big in the city I live in, so of course I can go yeah. and buy oat milk. Um, but I think that ties in big to like Goop as well. Is this idea of 
providing alternative answers to problems that a lot of people have had for years are deep-seated and often very difficult to talk about, especially if you're a woman. Like, women's, there's a reason the concept of hysteria exists. Yep. Still. Still. To this day, especially if you're a black woman in America, you know, you are probably never going to be listened to in terms of your health until it's too late. And that is horrifying. So in that aspect, I see why people turn to to goop, to every raw vegan who's got, you know, who's obsessed with avocados or, you know, everyone who's promoting specific diets or, you know, doing yoga on top of a mountain and all of these things, because it's also well curated in terms of an aesthetic and an aesthetic often matters more than the words themselves. And this is what I've been kind of curious about Ms. Calloway is so yes. much of what she is doing is driven by words. You know, she's not, you know, because this is why she does stories. And if you look at her stories, it is yeah. block after yeah. block of text, which you have to pause the screen in order to read all of it. Um, but it's, and I know this is subjective. I don't think she's a good writer. Um, and, you know, that's, no. you know, plenty no. of other people have gotten more successful being a worse writer. Um, I find it curious that she once again defends her bad spelling as being part of her authenticity. Mm, yeah. She recently did F.E.R. but referred to him as Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which is, is that a shipping <laughs> name with Eleanor? We, we stand, we stand for Delano. <laughs> but it, it's, it was elements like that, that it was very fascinating to me. Um, and I, you know, like, you don't need a book deal or anything like that to be a writer. If you want to be a writer, be a writer, you know, uh, someone who writes professionally for a living. It took me a long time to be able to kind of own the label because I didn't feel like I deserved it. I would call myself a blogger, even when I was getting paid for it. Um, right. But I think that it still matters to have something tangible. And when you're writing something that will be deleted 24 hours later, maybe it makes an impact on your fans, but that's really difficult to try and build yeah. something off of. And yeah. that's clearly her aim. Because, you know, she wouldn't be trying to mount workshops. She wouldn't be, you know, bragging about trying to get sponsored content and all of these things. Um, this is, you know, and, and calling herself a teacher. Right. The Delanor thing still sticks in my mind because it was part of a quote where she said, am I scared? Yes, but as FDR said, but she spelled it sacred. <laughs> and a friend of mine actually says, like, I don't know if that was a spelling error or if that was deliberate. I, oh my God, wait, I remember reading this now and I actually thought that she meant to say sacred. Oh my God. <laughs> well, my mind's just been blown. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons that the other comment I kept hearing over the past week was, are you sure Lena Dunham didn't write this? Yes! <laughs> it does. It feels like a rejected... But, you know, to, to, be, to be fair to Lena Dunham, Lena Dunham has a work ethic. Yeah, she actually does create shit as an artist. Like, And that's what's, you know, that's one thing that I have found dipping my toe into these waters. Like, talking about, uh, like, Tanacon, Firefest, um... You know, all all writers and, and even, like, all artists have to be delusional to some degree. Otherwise, like, none of us would be doing this. Like, I would not, I would not be doing this if, if I weren't at least somewhat delusional. But with some of these people, it's, it, it's a much more harmful delusion that is reinforced by parasocial relationships, which we can now talk about in much greater detail. For, for listeners who don't know what a parasocial relationship is, just uh, go watch Bo Burnham's Make Happy special on Netflix. Uh, I can give you homework. Or 
Uh, Kaylee, you have a great recommendation. I watched this series too, uh, so I'm glad that you mentioned or that you you know uh, put in our notes. Um, yeah, so Shannon Shannon Strucky, who is a YouTube um, video essayist, has a very long, like lit- hours long, deep dive into parasocial relationships, which relies heavily on Bo Burnham's work actually. But it was key in helping me try to kind of figure out the Callaway situation and what it was about it that kind of needled at me. Parasocial relationship is essentially a one-sided relationship that you often see related to celebrity and fandom. Um, yeah. it's, an, it's an illusion, essentially. It's that idea of creating this kind of warm figure that people identify with, c- consider almost kind of a friendship. It's very big in social media. I think it is a, a reckoning we haven't entirely dealt with, actually, in terms of social media. Think of every time you've gone into the mentions of any celebrity on Twitter. And the people who are very, very personal in their conversation, or the people who go to conventions and like ask for a hug from actors. That's actually, I was just gonna say, I was, uh, I got years ago, I was at some, I was in an event, uh, it was a screening of the Sherlock season two premiere, I wanna say. Oh, if it's Sherlock. It is, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking in a lot of ways. And like, you know, they, so they screened, they screened the episode and then Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman came on stage for a Q and A. And, you know, there was a, you know, audience questions portion never do no more of this um event planners please don't don't do audience questions but the first person who stood up and this is not a, a you know a, any kind of judgment on this person at all um other than that they broke my heart but they they stood up and it they basically talked about you know how they were suicidal and sherlock helped them and they wanted to give um some kind of book special you know uh arthur conan doyle related book that they had found to uh i think actually stephen moffat was there uh but to the sherlock people and it was one of those things where you're just like oh i'm so glad that you that this that this art helped you that's so great but oh boy this is this is so awkward (laughs) it's the emotional and mental weight that you put on stars like this and I don't want to judge anyone who finds solace or comfort or real reasons to be in pop culture. I do that all the damn time. I have done since I was a child. Um, I think where it comes in terms of what we've been talking about and in terms of parasocial relationships is that that behavior is actively encouraged now, primarily by really large corporations. Right. Um, they, you know, the language they talk about, we do it for the fans. Oh, yeah. They're the most important people. And then they can support us by giving us their money and buying all these products and doing this for this person. And there's seldom any thought yes. put into the cost of that on the people involved, be it the yes. fans or the subjects of those interests. Think of every, you know, if talking about Sherlock, think of every time Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch have been asked to read out John Locke fan fiction, which is way too many times. Uh, often by like journalists on stage. It's not funny, guys. Stop doing it. Um, or think about stuff like, I mean, how many celebrities have had stalkers? How many celebrities have been killed by stalkers? Um, but they're still told to go on social media and thank their fans and pretend that they're not bothered by things like death threats or oh my god, yeah. obsessive de- declarations of love or pornographic fan art or things. I mean, this is maybe a little minor in comparison, but I remember before Hayley Atwell, who played Peggy Carter, left Twitter, 
she'd had a conversation one of her fans who was clearly young called her mum and that's quite common language in a lot of fandom especially from young people and she'd said please don't call me that i find it uncomfortable and it's also disrespectful to your parents and the amount of her fans who were like well you shouldn't be upset about this this is a declaration of love from us and all these things you know she's allowed to have boundaries there and i think that so much of the conversation around fandom around parasocial relationships and influencers and so on is dictated by power structures that see your emotional and mental well-being as a perfectly good sacrifice to build a parasocial relationship yeah um, it's 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 a product yes it's a product and that's why it becomes so murky to talk about concepts of authenticity you know how do you sell the real version of yourself without just smothering yourself in just the absolute agony of it you know i have I've got a lot more Twitter followers now because of this week, which was is terrifying, by the way. But, you know, even the numbers that I had before, you know, I thought a lot about what kind of image am I projecting to myself? Is the image of, you know, this tweet that I write, is it funny? Will this get me new followers? Does this work in terms of how I sell myself as a writer, as a brand? And I think that's kind of the, the millennial curse in a way that we are taught everything we must do has to either be a side hustle or an opportunity to be monetized or to build a brand. And it's a really hard mindset to get out of, especially if you have grown up on social media and you're living in a vaguely public sphere. You know, I'm a pop culture writer. I'm nothing in terms of the pecking order. And I think about this constantly. Right. It, it does. It does. I had one tweet that did like mildly well. Like I, I it was, you know, maybe like a few thousand favorites or whatever. And I was just like, this is horrible. This is fucking awful. I, I don't understand how people deal with this on a daily basis. They must never. But there is, but there are people, you know, these, these influencers, they kind of thrive on it or, you know, they seem to. That's, that's the other thing. Well, that's another thing that I, I wonder about because they clearly, on some level, if you want to be in the public eye on any level, you have to have a certain degree of ego. And I'm not exempt from this. It's really one of the only ways you can kind of survive this hellscape is to feel like, you know what, I've earned this. I I have the right to have my voice out in this sphere. You know, as someone who writes about pop culture, I kind of have to cloak myself in that often because I know that certain things I write about are going to get, like, so much crap. Um, writing about Star Wars, I got featured on Reddit and that, that led to some bad things. <laughs> but that's why I've had a number of tweets go quite big and you never get I've never gotten used to it I've never gotten used to that fear of oh god what if this is the tweet that results in the death threats again what if this is the tweet that gets put on you know Breitbart news or whatever you know what if this is the tweet that basically kills my career um and I am I, I I'm I'm really fascinated by people who have the capacity to deal with that. I, I respect it in many ways but I wonder what it is like to surround yourself constantly with yes people when you are clearly in the wrong. And I think about that in terms of Miss Calloway because clearly she still has a lot of fans who are dedicated to her and don't think that she did anything wrong. They are fine to say well, she was young and she was inexperienced and she really did mean well. And, you know, the that that you know that journalist deserves to have her name put on a t-shirt for sale and all of these things. Um, but at what point does that tip over into something potentially dangerous or really insidious? Um, I'm sure that... I think it's fine. Caroline Calloway is going to be fine. Yeah, she is pretty. She is privileged. She comes. She comes from wealth. Yeah, like she she went to like Phillips Exeter. Yeah, yeah. She's from one of the richest suburbs in the country. Yeah, uh, she went to NYU and Cambridge. She is. She will be ultimately 
fine. And this is the thing about YouTube and internet celebrities and stuff is once you get to a certain number, typically speaking, your career is fine. Like Logan Paul, his career did not end when he, you know, filmed a dead body hanging in a forest. Um, PewDiePie's career is not over from saying racial slurs. Um, Tana, um, her career is not over after TanaCon. Actually, she's benefited because Shane Dawson turned up. Yeah. Um, you know, she will be fine in the grand scheme of things, but in terms of like what she clearly wants to build, how do you do that when you don't want to listen to the obvious criticism, when you walk back your own apology, and when you're surrounded by people who will just cling to you until the ship sinks? And right. I can't say I necessarily blame her. I think if I was in that position, it would be really hard for me to listen to all the, the, the stuff being said about me. My, I would instinctively probably view it as trash talk more than actually you are part of, you're a symptom of a problem and you can help to lead a good, you know, a good new path. You don't have to go recreation era Taylor Swift in 24 hours. Um, you don't have, but that was another thing that got me about it is one of the things that she's reflected, and this is another big problem. And this has come out a lot with the Firefest stuff over the past week is I think there's this element of grift becoming aspirational. I mean, last year with the summer of scam, with Anna Delvey becoming this folk hero, Anna Delvey ruined lives. Anna Delvey put perfectly innocent people who don't have that much money in the bank into tens of thousands of dollars of debt. They will never have financial security again. They are not the sheriff of Nottingham in this story. I don't think she deserves a folk hero rewrite. I don't think and I think this is changing now, but you know the the attitude that Firefest was just a trap for all of those privileged rich millennials. When actually we see, once again, lives were ruined there. Yeah, the people of the Bahamas, like that, that wasn't a joke for them. They, you know, that was one of the things that I liked about the Netflix documentary. Was it went into a little greater detail uh, with, about the people of the Bahamas, of Great Exuma. And, you know, there was one woman who had to use up $50,000 of her savings to pay all of the people that she, that worked for her during this, uh, you know, abomination. And it's a joke to Caroline Calloway because at her workshop on Saturday, she put up signs that said Firefest and gave out emergency um, emergency blankets to, ponch, uh, to journalists as gifts. That's that's actually horrifying. Like, I, you know, m- most, most, most of this, like, most of the workshop aspect of this has been has felt like you know a 16 uh, you know a, a girl turning 16 and telling her parents she wants to take care she wants to plan the party she wants to do everything and then like totally messing it up that's a lot of this but when you when you get to actually you know handing out you know emergency blanket like that's cruel and shitty it's like the the idea that if you ironically own the label of scammer you're somehow winning the argument um like the idea that you i I mean that's a level of irony that i just find incredibly stupid and also insulting because as we just mentioned people are still suffering to this day because of firefest you know this was not a victimless crime and you know this is clearly a much smaller scale event it is not on anywhere near the same level of exploitative but there's nothing interesting about you know, this is, this is another way that she's copying Taylor Swift. But, you know, Taylor Swift waited a year to come back for the Reputation era. Taylor Swift had at least some self-awareness that various versions of herself that she had created were problematic and were something that she could joke about as being ridiculous. That's not the same thing here. You know, Firefit is not a label you get to wear with pride as, or a scammer t-shirt that makes you think that you are 
more in on the joke than you actually are it, it starts to feel like you're rubbing it in people's faces on that front yeah it's it's sort of similar i mean i, I I am not calling Caroline Calloway a Nazi, but it's one of, it is, it feels similar to the, you know, the adoption of the, you know, the shit posters, just, you know, largely teenage boys who are just coming up with the most offensive things that they can say to each other and, you know, using neo-Nazi language and symbols and then becoming Nazis, you know, it, it, at some point it actually doesn't matter whether you started out ironically or not, you have become the thing that you, you know, you have adopted the mantle you put on. Like, it's there. It's, it, what is, what does it matter if it's ironic or not? I, I certainly think about it in the same way that I think about, like, anyone who uses misogynistic slurs and then claims, well, I'm actually a feminist and a very big supporter of women, so I can use these terms. Um, obviously, it's obviously a different level of offensiveness, not to make direct comparisons, but that is the point is, you can't just say something is ironic. It's like saying something is satire. That's not how it works. You know? Oh God, the worst, the the most tiresome defense of shitty works of art that I've ever, that I, like, I'm so tired of seeing people go, to satire well no there needs there's intent and and craftsmanship behind satire <laughs> well that reminds me of actually one of the um you'll have to check the page because i'm blocked i can't see it anymore but there is a um st- one of the instagram posts that callaway wrote when she was at university where she's clearly trying to copy patricia lockwood and makes a story around an extended rape metaphor oh, wow but she's she's trying to make her version of the rape joke poem and that poem is brilliant but it is done with intent and skill and is really delicately handled like all of lockwood's wonderful wonderful work is and what callaway is doing is not that and actually you see, i think you see that in a lot of her posts is yeah. <laughs> you can see what book she was probably reading at the time and the writer that she's trying to kind of emulate and that's once again that's really fascinating is how do you sell yourself when you're just trying to sell what everyone else has, but there's still nothing on the table? And I, I wonder if that was key in her never turning in the book. She claims that she didn't because she didn't want to craft a narrative around boys. Keep in mind that the big selling point of her entire fantasy was that she met this, you know, handsome, well-connected, upper-class boy at Cambridge and had the, you know, the Evelyn Waugh fantasy without all the tragedy or the understanding that the rich people in right. novels are terrible. It's, it's, yeah, just, just the, the, the idea of, which feels, I mean, it is not an exclusively American thing, but it does feel very American uh, to just be like, oh, well, I can just say that I can have written without actually having written. Like, and, you know, I, I, I am currently working with an agent on a book proposal myself. So I understand pressure you know okay well is an editor actually going to buy this is there too much out too much else out there you know what's the audience like i i can see a world in which you know miss calloway's book proposal you know when she actually went to work on the book which i refuse to believe she actually did um you know i can see a world in which she was like wow this actually you know isn't this is not something I want to put out into the world, but it just doesn't. Uh, that's just not. I think this is the thing a lot of people have. A, this is the thing a lot of people have a problem with. But also, you know, um, book proposals change. 
you know, you can, if it's not working for you, you can go back to square one with that. And especially if there is that amount of money on the table, your, your publisher probably want you to keep working on it. So this is what's strange because her, her, um, her, her agent was, I don't think he is anymore, Bird Level, whose most infamous clients are Tucker Max and Kat Marnell. And if you know the story of Kat Marnell, it took her years to turn in her book, but she still turned in the book. So if he could, if he could keep Kat Marnell in line, but couldn't keep Caroline Calloway in line to return the book in, like, especially as someone who knows a thing or two about publishing, like your mind just goes haywire thinking of what happened there. Um, that's also, I think, another reason a lot of people kind of find themselves really aggravated by her is because she's had so many opportunities given to her. Getting Going to Cambridge, which remains one of the most exclusive universities in the world, uh, very difficult to get into, of having that particular kind of lavish, upper-class fantasy, getting a book deal out of it, all of these things, living in New York seemingly without a job, um, having all these fans and all these opportunities and influence, and then not doing any of the work... And that baffles me. And it's it's sad because when people think of how much they hate millennials, I think this is the kind of thing that they think about. And that sucks. Yeah, you can, you can at least do the work. Like maybe, you know, maybe no one picks it up. Maybe no one buys it. Like that was, I, I did a thing where I went on my own on a reporting trip to the geographic center of each state. No one gave a shit. Like no editor I knew, no... I had I had I, I had a meeting with an with an editor at a, a small imprint who was like, yeah, I just don't see this as a book, um, but I just I fucking did it anyway, and you know now it's finally maybe starting to bear some fruit, but you know no one gave me no one was like oh well I saw your Instagram uh, posts and you have a lot of Instagram followers I I don't um, but you know I. I the people that we afford these opportunities or the people who are afforded these opportunities is just fucking wild. <laughs> and that, that is really difficult for a lot of people to swallow. And I think that's why a lot of these issues get written off as millennial trash. It's a fad. It's a phase. Nothing will come of this. But, you know, agents and publishers are actively looking at social media for their new clients. They're actively, you know, how many, you know, people who do, fitness and exercise things on Instagram have book deals? How many YouTubers have book deals? You know, this is not a tiny number of people. This is a full industry in and of itself. Uh, and that's the thing is, I think that there would have been a way for Calloway to be really big. You know, maybe not write it as a memoir, but like write the fictionalized YA version of that story. That could have been huge. Yeah. Zoella, who's one of the bigger names in the UK, uh, there was a big hubbub a couple of years ago about her when her first novel came out and it was revealed it had been ghostwritten, but there was no indication given, you know, she was telling people she was uploading writing her book, but she didn't. Um, and that was like an issue of authenticity as well. But that was clearly a case where a publisher and an agent sat down with her and says, look, you're a big brand. You have a good idea. We need someone else to whip this into shape. And there's no shame in that. That's the thing. If there's transparency there, then people aren't going to have as much of a problem with it. Um, so if you know maybe maybe caroline calloway wanted to write her own book and then didn't have the provisions to do so or maybe she didn't actually just want to write the book herself whatever the situation publishers will typically help in those situations especially when there's you know five hundred thousand dollars if that was the real number you know because publishers don't want to have to sue you to get your money back because that is a lengthy costly process and we've seen those cases numerous times over the years um 
big deals that fall through um, clients to give them money back, deals canceled, this new, but it's still a big deal when it happens because that's such a squandered opportunity and that's such a mess to deal with. Yeah. Whew. Okay. We have, I feel like we've covered probably everything we can cover in an episode. Yeah. Do you have any sort of final thoughts? Yeah. I mean, just to repeat what I said earlier, I do want to emphasize that this, and and it was with my friend as well, I didn't want this to be specifically about Caroline Calloway. And I certainly didn't want it to be me versus her. Um, that, honestly, that's one of the reasons I stepped back from Twitter and dealing with the thread and covering it and on top of just like the the mounting agony of my mental health and the pressure of it um I, I, I this is the thing is this is not going away and there are great journalists out there doing work in this field taylor lorenz the atlantic katie natopoulos at buzzfeed um charlie warzel at Buzz, i think he's now at the new york times formerly at buzzfeed you know there are people who are doing the work of covering the particular economy of the internet and internet celebrity and how it affects our lives, even if you claim to be that person on the moral high ground who's never heard of any of these and doesn't interact and knows that they're all scams and all of these things. Um, but until we get some level of regulation, and I think it will happen in the future, maybe not for a few years, but it's going to have to happen, this will remain something of Wild West that we should be cautious about and we should try and understand and try and expose when it gets to this level of of ineptitude and manipulation and i don't think that that's a thing to point out regardless of how many mason jars are involved <laughs> 1200 a reminder to our listeners 1200 mason jars that's what we're <laughs> that we're all shipped to one place instead of being shipped to the venues because she didn't have venues <laughs> oh oh god um well thank you kaylee for coming on i really 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 appreciate it i'm so glad that we got to talk about this and yes this is this is so much bigger than caroline calloway um and i i don't know the demographics of the people who listen to this but if you are younger um just you know we feel you like i i we get it but uh just be be careful out there um particularly when people tell you if any if, if anyone tells you I'm real or I'm authentic um, that's a red flag <laughs> uh, people who are real and authentic uh, don't don't have to talk about it all the time yeah <laughs> well now we're, we're, we're entering the realm of micro influencers apparently um, which is a totally bizarre call me when we get to nano influencers I assume that's on the table <laughs> well thanks again for listening everybody and thank you in particular to our patrons and especially to eric blasco alejandro Bursese, sasha Barese, and mike cavalier and if you're wondering why i said their names and not yours check out the american grift patreon and you too can have your name read at the end of one of these episodes um see you guys next time